working? It's green. All right. I did my part. <laughs> so uh, that happened to me once before when uh, I went to the restroom and, and Bill didn't dismiss the people to be able to fellowship, so everybody sat around until I came back out. <laughs> Uh, you know, you have to time those things, you know. I always know when we're getting ready for the preacher because Jim slips out, comes back. So uh, this morning, uh, we're going to be showing some slides from uh, two trips, actually. Um, there was, you know, because of COVID, we didn't travel for like two years. So 2019, the fall of 2019 was the last trip to Russia and Ukraine. And um, so two years we worked on getting the support to the Assist Church pastors uh, through money grants, through different ways, and we were able to complete that. And I did want to thank those that have continued uh, to give during this time because it was a real blessing to the pastors. We didn't have any lacking, everybody to support. Yeah, I couldn't hear my. Oh, now it's back. Okay. We good? I can't hear it. Oh, there it is. Okay. All right. Uh, two years COVID, and uh, so basically we communicated by email, kept up with the pastors. Uh, the churches continued to flourish. Uh, people gave regularly. We were really encouraged with that. Uh, we used different means to get the money in. So things started opening up. And uh, this last November 2021 was the first time I was able to go back into Ukraine. And it was a real encouraging time, a real blessing to me, because things had normalized. And this is, you know... It's really hard on me, this war thing and how attached I am to Ukraine. It's like a second home. And uh, in November 2021, I rented a car at the airport. I GPSed around this country. You know, I finally got to really travel around the country, uh, visited with the different pastors, ministered in different venues. And so I'm going to share with you some slides on that. We had some real breakthroughs at that time. Uh, we were wondering what to do with the Bible Institute after two years. Uh, a number of people had immigrated to the United States. I don't know how they did it, but right in the middle of COVID, uh, our main pastor, Dima, and his extended family, they all immigrated to Tacoma. And I think I mentioned it once in the church that I went to Tacoma and ministered in that church, uh, which is the largest Russian-speaking church in America, in Tacoma. But so the, the Bible Institute had kind of folded. There wasn't a board. I wanted to reconstitute the board. And long story short, we met with one of the young bishops. He offered a facility that was better than we'd had before. It was his uh, initiative, and he wanted to continue the Institute. It was just very exciting. And so we had planned on traveling to Ukraine in April, and we we're going to have one of the larger pastors and institutes we ever had. And then... 
Russia invaded in March and everything shut down. Uh, the people scattered. Uh, many pastors went to Europe. Um, the statistics run something like 4.5 million uh, people left the country, fled the country, uh, most of them in Poland, but all through Europe. Uh, one of the dynamics of that that we looked at was the fact that uh, Ukraine is the largest Christian nation in Europe. It may be the largest uh, Christian nation, period. It's got 89, over 89% claim to be Christian. A lot of those are Orthodox, but 89%. And they're scattered throughout Europe. So we're really praying that God would use that, that as they assimilate, that the power of God would move in Europe, because Europe desperately needs a revival. Uh, you're going to see some pictures in the second set about our uh, latest trip, which basically was to go visit these pastors in Europe. We went into Europe. But let's look at the first set, November. This is when everything was peaceful, everything was prospering. Nobody had any idea what was going to happen in March. So here we have, there's Ukraine. Go ahead. And this is the Kiev Oblast. Hold it right there. Right above that, that's Belarus. And Russia is over to the right. So you can see how the oblast is very, very close to Russia. And uh, if you look over a little bit, one oblast over is Chernegov. We're working there. Uh, the city of Chernegov was just about leveled during the war because the Russians came in that, in that direction, and they came in through Donbass, which is on the east. So they came in from those two directions. Go ahead. I don't know if you can see that too well. I put that up there because it's got the name of some of the cities. There's Brovery, Irpin, Bucha. These were cities that were highlighted in the news constantly. Those are uh, small suburbs of uh, Kiev, and these are areas where we work. The atrocities in Bucha, there's a rehabilitation center there. We've held an institute there. We would go there regularly. And uh, Irpin is where... Uh, Peter Kopetsky lives, and of course, Brovery is kind of like our headquarters, and that was another place that was very hard hit. Go ahead. So this is the church in Brovery, and uh, they've done a total remodeling job. Uh, Dima, the pastor, again, he immigrated with his family to Tacoma. They put another younger brother in place. He's a dynamic brother. The church has continued to grow. Go ahead. So some of the pictures. Go ahead. Okay, go ahead. So this pastor here, his son is one of the younger bishops who approached me about the Bible Institute. And this man has a church complex, which actually involves a large kitchen and bedrooms and so on. It's kind of like a campus. It was funded by the church in Tacoma. It is kind of uh, the best uh, facility you could possibly have. They offer that for our Bible Institute. So again, this last April was when we were supposed to start. Go ahead. Can't see that, but that's the sanctuary of the church. Go ahead. So they asked me, they said, could you minister to our youth groups? Man, I just love young people. I thought, sure, I'll minister to youth groups. So this is uh, Nikolai Lovchenko's church, Cornerstone. And uh, this is their youth group, very, uh, you know, they have a worship team. I mean, it's just really excellent. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
So I love to teach young people. I try to teach foundations of the faith, discipline. Um, I was talking here about the morning watch, spending time with the Lord in the morning. You know, I've had young people come up to me and tell me that it totally changed their lives. Once they put that into place, it totally changed their spiritual lives. Go ahead. Uh, this is uh, Resurrection Church, the first one you saw. And they were doing some kind of uh, rehearsal for a play, so they stuffed us into the elders' conference room. There's about 20 young people in here. Go ahead. And again, teaching for young people. Go ahead. This is Peter Kopetsky. He uh, pastored uh, the very first church that was founded after the unregistered Pentecostals came out. Uh, they actually met in the woods, uh, and this church is on the edge of the woods. And as the story goes, the, the master of the forest, who was like forest ranger for that forest, saw people going in and, what are these people doing in my forest? And he kept trying to find them, and he finally found them, and he got saved. And uh, part of his pay was that uh, the Russian government gave him a plot of land. They allowed him to cut trees and mill them. I don't know if he got a lot of money, but he was, you know, very productive. And he basically gave a plot of land right by his house for the church, and that's where this church is. And a uh, great church. Go ahead. And this is Elia, his son. You're going to see pictures later because these, they fled. And their house was actually hit with mortar fire. Uh, they have a pretty large house on a plot of land. And so they had to flee. They're in Germany. But uh, his son, Elia, is trying to immigrate to America. You might pray for him. I think I'm going to touch on things like prayer points. You can pray for Elia. He's on dialysis. And uh, he got out. And he went to Sweden, and there was a man in Sweden willing to give him a kidney, but he couldn't get into the health system. He's trying to get into America. If he can come, this man will come, and he can receive a kidney. So pray for Elia. And I have some good friends who are funding that. Go ahead. I think that's Chernegov Oblast to the right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, this is uh, Bishop Anatoly Evchik. And uh, he's the bishop of the Chernegov Oblast. He's got about six or seven churches that he oversees. And he is now in east, let's see, he is in uh, southwestern Ukraine in a safe city. His wife's in Germany. Uh, his family's scattered. He lives in a town that was really leveled. Uh, Chernegov was really just about destroyed. And there were certain cities they seemed to target because they had historical significance, and one of them was Trenegev. But he lives in a village area, and the church was spared as well as his house. Go ahead. And they always feed you. Go ahead. His wife was constantly talking about how she was apologizing for not having enough food. I'm serious. She was constantly apologizing. Amazing. Go ahead. So that's he and his two, two daughters that live. One lives in the, in the home with him. The other uh, came for a visit because I was there. Uh, he has six children. Go ahead. Back to Kiev. Go ahead. Nikolai Levchenko, he's been in our church, and uh, we supported him. And we spent time with them. And I had actually a year's support for him, so it was a good bit of money. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
So as I gave him the money, go ahead, he kissed my hand, <laughs> thanking me. Go ahead. So this is uh, Peter Kopetsky's church. This is the Forest Church. And Jim, you, you remember this church, and it's one of the first ones they established. It started as a pole barn, and then they just kept, you know, modernizing it and so on. But this is on the edge of the forest. Uh, I think they said there was like 70 believers when they came out of the forest. And uh, most of the uh, leadership uh, was in prison. And under Gorbachev, there was a general amnesty of all nonviolent political prisoners, which were mainly pastors. So that happened just before we went in. So we got to visit with all these guys that had just gotten out of prison. About 70 believers. This is just one of many churches. Go ahead. That's Peter Kopetsky. Go ahead. Isn't that great? Look at all the young people, young couples, singles. Go ahead. Uh, a brother was visiting. Uh, there was this long prophecy, and I could just sense the anointing of God. And afterwards, people just flocked to the front. And you can see this young man weeping and people repenting. And it was just a powerful move of God's spirit. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, hold it there. I'm sorry that's not bigger. So we started praying about how we were going to do this. You know, the COVID mandates in Europe can be very restrictive. And one of the areas we wanted to go into was Belgium, very restrictive, talking about only necessary essential travel, quarantines, tests, all kinds of things. And uh, so as I was talking to my translator, her, who she and her family are in Brussels, uh, she said they had no problem driving through the country. So basically, we flew to Paris because Paris had the least mandates. And when we got there, they didn't ask for anything. We were prepared for, you know, we had recovery certificates and tests and all this stuff, and nothing. And everything was really normalized. So we spent one night in a hotel just to rest up for the trip because we were going to be doing a lot of driving, running a car in Paris. And at, during that time, uh, the Belgian government dropped all mandates. There's a lot of pressure because, like, Greece and Great Britain have totally normalized things. You don't need a vaccine. You don't need a test. You don't need anything. And so people are starting to really move and travel, and there's a lot of competition. So Belgium dropped everything. So this is just basically driving from Paris up to Belgium. Go ahead. In Belgium, there's a Ukrainian uh, church, and uh, the man who's the pastor, Victor, was actually, uh, they, they, what happens is a lot of Ukrainian men will go to Europe to work and send money back home. And Victor had done that. He was in Brussels. And they started a small group, and so he had a little church. I think it was 80, 100 people. And then all of a sudden, these refugees came flooding in. So this is the church now. Go ahead. All this is refugees. Go ahead. There's no way you can... Okay, thanks. Go ahead. So, I don't know, 400? 400, 500? Go ahead. Isn't that incredible? Okay, go ahead. That's my translator. Uh, we visited uh, with her family, and they, through the church, uh, gave us uh, hospitality quarters. Go ahead. It was a great, great time. 
Okay, go ahead. So then we drove from uh, Brussels uh, down to where Nikolai Lochinko is living, and it's called uh, Rothenrath, and uh, it's a small community. It's at the foothills of mountains. It's one of the most beautiful areas I've ever seen. It's a uh, big thing is hiking and so on. And there's a wealthy family there who are Russian Pentecostals who have offered them a apartment in the back part of their house. Um, he's going to a church. He said there's about a thousand people in a Pentecost church, Russian Ukrainian Pentecostal church. And so he's doing well, but you know, he's a bishop. He wants to be in the ministry. He wants to be at his church. They've let him preach a couple times. Uh, he ministers at a rehab center. But he was kind of lethargic. And, you know, he said, basically, I think probably I'll die here. I won't be able to go back to Ukraine. It was kind of sad. Go ahead. And you remember Nikolai. How many remember? Anybody remember him? He was here with us a long time. Okay, Nikolai, go ahead. And his wife, Katya. One of the things that's really neat is most, almost all the immigrants that we talk to are getting all kinds of medical care they never had before <laughs> because these countries are more you know, progressive with medicine and they have good social uh, programs. Everybody's being provided for. Uh, they, they have a, a social net. They receive uh, finances for food and so on and so forth. But uh, every one of them I talked with was either getting medical work done or dental work. <laughs> Go ahead. So then we drove up to uh, Spaden, which is up on the North Sea. And again, if you're looking at this, okay, two, you've got 200 miles, 200 miles. This is about 300 and some miles. And we visited, go ahead, Peter uh, Elia, the young man you saw in the earlier picture with his family. Go ahead. And his father, Peter, and uh, Raya, his wife. And they are in Spaden, which is just outside of Bremerhaven. Bremerhaven's pretty good size. It's a port city up on the North Sea. Go ahead. So they're living in this small apartment with his daughter and six children. And I think it's two or three bedrooms. So, so what we have here, people who've lost everything, who are in very, very cramped quarters, are being provided for. But it's kind of like, you know, they're like, what's next, you know? Um, a lot of them are using this as an opportunity to try to get to America. Some of them are deciding to stay where they are. They won't return. Again, we're talking about 4.5 million people. And they said uh, there's another, sorry, 8.4. They said another 8 million are displaced in country. One quarter of the population of the country is displaced either out or inside the country. Go ahead. So pray for Peter and Elia, especially Elia. Go ahead. That would be good if we could blow that up. This is their house in Irpin. This was a really, really nice house. So you're talking about a, a mortar around. No one was in the house at the time. Go ahead. A lot of just other minor damage to shingles and so on. I asked him what it would cost. He, you know, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars, something like that, but. You can pray for him about that. And I, I encourage Peter about returning. He really didn't know what the Lord had for him. Most of these people seem very um, disoriented and confused. You know, uh, They're really trusting the Lord. They have faith. They're good people. Again, these are people we've supported for years. Go ahead. 
So then we uh, had to drive from uh, Bremerhaven all the way back to Brussels. That was about 400 and some miles all the way through Holland. I wish I had a nickel for every mile I drove. Go ahead. Had to drive back to Paris from Brussels. And then we go ahead. We flew to uh, London. That other line there is a rail line. We almost took the railroad, but it was... uh, just faster and cheaper to go by plane. And I kept saying, now you're here on business, you're not a tourist. So, okay, so we flew, go ahead. And there we have Big Ben and me. Okay, we're on our way basically to uh, uh, the celebration for the 60th anniversary of Operation Mobilization with George Verwer. Uh, That's one of the reasons we went to London to spend time uh, to go to this meeting and to see George. And uh, so we're walking basically from the metro station over to uh, Westminster Abbey. That's, uh, Westminster Abbey is, is an actual building, but it's actually a complex, and there's all kinds of others. There's extra chapels and stuff, and they had rented one of the chapels. Go ahead. That's the complex. London's beautiful. Go ahead. And here we have the 60th anniversary of Operation Mobilization with George Verber. And it was really good because they went over four different points of the vision of OM. Uh, They highlighted a lot of different ministries, had different people speak uh, from overseas. And also uh, their headquarters is there in England. Go ahead. George. And he was wearing his jacket. He looked older. Uh, he's had, he had bypass surgery, major, was it triple? Triple bypass surgery. He's totally recovered, still electric. Go ahead. That shows a picture of George when he was young and now. I thought that was pretty cool. Go ahead. Uh, we then on Sunday decided that we wanted to go to uh, Spurgeon's Church at Elephant and Castle, which is an area of London, South London. And that's Metropolitan Tabernacle, Spurgeon's Church. Uh, That's the actual original facade. Uh, The church was destroyed by fire before uh, the war, and then during the Second World War, during Blitzkrieg, as it was being rebuilt, it was totally destroyed again. The only thing that was spared was the facade. So there's a building attached in the back, which is much smaller. Uh, you're going to go ahead. Uh, this is a congregation uh, that Sunday. I suppose you could seat four or five hundred, but you know Spurgeon's original tabernacle seated six thousand, and his congregation was five thousand three hundred. So it was just an incredibly magnificent building. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So if you could remember to pray for the displaced refugees, especially those that we have a relationship with. Uh, The scriptures talk about first the the brotherhood of faith, but also those that are scattered that don't know the Lord. Uh, Might be an opportunity for the Lord to move. Um, Got word from a pastor in southeastern Ukraine where people were fleeing. He said the war had to them has been a blessing and that They had a very small church. Now they're holding meetings every night. There's really revival. People are hungry for God. Uh, These kind of situations will do that. Just really press you into God. 
So I want to share with you a message that I shared with the church, the Ukrainian church in Brussels. It has to do with being sensitive to the times we're in. What is God's expectation? Um, I was in an elders meeting. I think it was Tuesday before Bill preached, and Bill was talking about his message. He was uh, kind of uh, brainstorming, just talking to us about it. And one of the things he brought up was, you know, how are we to respond to these events? And, you know, it had to do with his message, but the Lord took me on another tangent. And I was sitting there, and as he asked that question, you know, how are we to respond to the events of our times? The Lord spoke to me that we are to be about our Father's business. That we are to be about our Father's business. I think the greatest temptation in all of this is to be distracted, to be consumed and distracted uh, with what the enemy's doing, uh, not only in the world, but, you know, in our nation, with all the things that we're going through, hyperinflation, gas prices, how that affects, you know, diesel prices, how that affects the whole economy, all these things. That we're to keep our eyes on Jesus and we are to be about our Father's business. The first verse here is uh, Matthew 16, uh, 2 through 3, Matthew 16, 2 through 3. And the Lord said, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. And then he says, hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the sign of the times. The Lord wants us to discern the times that we might respond appropriately. That we might respond appropriately. This is a great opportunity. When people are under this kind of pressure and duress, they are open to God. They are open to God. They are open to their need. And God can fill that need. So we're talking about an accelerated process that's occurring and uh, we were talking about things that have affected us globally. We, have a, we had a global pandemic. Who could have ever imagined such a thing and, and how it affected the whole world? I never could have imagined it. And then we have this war and how it's affected the whole world. Matthew 24, 3 through 14. Matthew 24, 3 through 14. And, and I'm, not, I'm not an end-time uh, prophecy, revelation guy, you know, but, but I know that Russia plays a big part in end-time events. Russia plays a big part. It says, and he said, as he said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? We're talking about the last days. We're talking about an accelerated process. We're talking about something we were thrown into. We're talking about something that, you know, we talk about all the time. We talk about these days, and all of a sudden we're there, and we're going, what's going on? No, no, this is what we've been talking about since we came to the Lord back in the 70s as young people. Some of us. Some of us came later and are younger, but some of us. You know, we, we were talking about, we're just, we believe the Lord's going to come back in our day. Remember that? I mean, we talked about that all the time. The Lord's going to come back. I'm not going to die. 
I mean, prophetically, I can tell. I'm not going to die. So that must mean the Lord's coming back. You know? I mean, really, you get these things, right? And all these things are going to happen. All of a sudden, we're thrown into this thing, and we're going, whoa, what is this? That's what you've been talking about. Because all this has to happen first. That's what it's talking about. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. He's talking about great deception in the last days. We're seeing that. All these weird theologies and doctrines and megachurches professing all kinds of crazy things affecting uh, the the Christian population. It's amazing. Deception. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom, famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. This is the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. There's a lot more violent oppression against righteousness in our nation now than there ever has been. Than there ever has been. When you stand for righteousness, this thing about Roe versus Wade, I mean, we prayed and prayed and prayed. It's amazing. But look at, look at, the, look at what it catalyzed, the evil, the darkness, the violence. It exposed the dark underbelly. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake, and then many will be offended, will betray one another, will hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, is this not true in our day? The love of many will grow cold. We can't allow that. I've been reading uh, A.B. Simpson. He's talking a lot about love, just to continue to express the love of God, and that's what's going to win people. To express, he, he, he gave an example of a woman had such a history in her life that she didn't even understand what the word love meant. So when he talked to her about the love of God, she I don't I don't even know what you mean. I don't know what love is. And he challenges the congregation to love her, and they loved her in small ways and different ways. And finally she wept and said, I think I understand what love is, what love is. We need to keep loving. Then it says, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. So we have these two things that directly relate to us. We have a whole... A scenario of events, and then we have these two things. He who endures to the end shall be saved. That's another whole message. <laughs> but this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and the end will come. I was trying to mobilize this Ukrainian church that as they assimilate, as they learn the language and so on, that they would share their faith throughout Brussels. Brussels is a really ungodly city. It's not a normal European city. Can't explain it. A lot of it's just just what what we felt was it's just unclean, you know. We we actually stayed in a hotel 
a little hotel that the church had leased part of it. It, it had been abandoned and purchased, and you know, young people boarded there, different things. And but right outside our door, there was all these ladies standing around. We're trying to figure out, well, they're hookers, you know. I mean, it was just incredible, you know, and trying to just you know communicate the love of Christ. Couldn't speak the language, you know. Just a sad situation. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and the end will come. So these two things, to endure to the end and to be a witness to the nations. And and actually, I thought there was a third one, that is, don't be deceived. Watch for deception. We as individual believers have a responsibility for this generation of lost souls. We have a responsibility. I... I remember I did a message here a while back, and I shared an A.B. Simpson quote. And he said something to the effect that, you know, will we selfishly only utilize the reality of salvation for ourselves and our families, enjoy the benefits of it, without sharing this cure to the disease to the general populace? What responsibility do we have? Will we just keep it to ourselves, our family, our close ones, you know, in our church, and enjoy the benefits of having a relationship with Jesus when actually our responsibility is to spread it out and give it away to a die and sicking, a, die, a sick and dying world? We need to have a burden for the lost. We need to have eyes to see what Jesus sees and a heart to feel what Jesus feels. The Bible says in John 4.34, the fields are white to the harvest. John 4.34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Again, to be about the Father's business. Do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages, gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this saying is true, one sows and another reaps. Sometimes you're just sowing. I've been meditating again on this verse that says that when the word of the Lord goes forth and does not return void, it accomplishes that which he has proposed. That when I speak the word of God into a person's life, even though I don't see results, I know there will be results. Maybe I'm just sowing. And I I sometimes pray that. The fields are white to the harvest. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap. That for which you've not labored, you've entered into their labors. The Lord is sending us into the harvest to be about our Father's business. In Mark 16, 15 through 18. Mark 16, 15 through 18. At the end of each gospel, Jesus says something to this effect, but this is one of the most clear Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. This is exciting here. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. 
If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. We are to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, when we think about that, all going to, we, we, we think about missions. And, and, and as we start to dwell on this, then we kind of eliminate ourselves because we're not called to missions. But that's not what this is talking about. Chuck Ferry used to say, we are called to go into every man's world. I like that. And he had a heart for that. We had a thing called Tulsa. I can't remember the name exactly. Tulsa Businessmen. We had uh, Bible studies on Saturday where people would host them and businessmen were invited. You know, Chuck wanted to win the businessmen of the city to the Lord. It's a community, you know. Go into every man's world and proclaim the gospel. Then it says at the end, signs and wonders are to follow the proclamation of the word of God. Signs and wonders are to confirm the word of God. I've shared with people that when you're sharing with someone, uh, try to take an opportunity to pray for them, to ask them if there's a need, something you can pray for them about, and expect God to do something. I remember I was coming out of a warehouse market and a black couple were coming in, and the lady had her arm in a cast. And the Holy Spirit fell on me. And I said, I said, Sister, could I pray for your arm? She goes, oh, yeah, and I prayed for her arm. She's going, glory to God, glory to God. <laughs> I had revival at Warehouse Market, you know. How did you break your arm? I was leaning over gardening. You know, we had a little discussion. But, I mean, just be spontaneous. Be creative. I had a guy come up to me just yesterday at, uh, at uh, one of the Walmarts in the, in the parking lot, and he was a guy, he was wearing a marijuana shirt, he had a beard, he was a young guy in his 30s, and um, he had a petition he wanted me to sign for recreational marijuana, you know. So I said, well, I laughed. I said, well, you have to understand. I said, I was, I was a drug dealer. And I said, I understand the dynamic of marijuana. I mean, there's some medical stuff, but I said, you know, marijuana's a uh, tricyclic drug, and it opens you up spiritually to commune with other spirits. And I told him a little bit of my testimony. And I said, but then I received Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And he goes, whoa, I can feel that. <laughs> I said, yeah, I can too. <laughs> Take every opportunity. Take every. I've, I've, I've had some really interesting encounters lately doing that. And the power of God. Signs and wonders. You know, we've taken this word preach and it's become a religious word. There's, there's various things that the enemy and your flesh are going to use to keep you from fulfilling this. Okay, number one... Uh, go into all the world. Well, I'm not called. I'm in Tulsa. I'm not called. There's other people. I'll pray for them. I, I, I'll give some money. That's not me. No, no, it's you. There's a mission field all around you. The other word is preach. Oh, I'm not a preacher. You know, that's for preachers. In, in, in Russia and Ukraine, there's the office of preacher. It's not a bad idea. They have, uh, they have uh, bishops. Pastors, evangelists, they have preachers. Preachers are guys that itinerate in the churches and bring exhortation. But it's a religious thing. So I looked the word up. The word preach in the, 
The Greek is the word caruso, and it means to proclaim something in public, especially divine truth. To proclaim in public, to speak in public to one person, to two people, to a crowd. So to preach is very practical. Get rid of the word preach and put in the word proclaim. To speak in public about divine truth. Every Christian is called to do that. We are called to go into every man's world and proclaim divine truth to all that we meet. Everywhere we go, wherever we go, we are to look for opportunities to proclaim the good news and share our testimony. Those are the two things. The enemy cannot confute. The word of God is, you might disagree with it, but it is. Somebody said one time, I didn't write it, I'm just reading it to you. If you get convicted, it's not my fault. It's the book's fault. <laughs> it's the book's fault. And your testimony. Your testimony, because that's real, that's alive. Those are the two things that we are to share with those that we meet. With those that we meet. It is our responsibility as believers. We have the cure to the disease. And we aren't just to keep it to ourselves, to take some daily to keep us well, or give some to our family to keep them well. We're supposed to give it away. And you know, the more we give away, the more it's going to come in. It's like the widow with the little bottle with the oil. You have to give it away, it comes, fills up. Give it away, it fills up. We're going to get to a, a, a quote in here that talks about how we do this out of obedience. Because God has spoken us to do it. We don't do it because we want to or because we like to. But let me tell you something. If you start doing it, you're going to get into it and you're going to like it. Because every time you do, God shows up. It's like... I just can't wait to talk to somebody because God's going to show up in some fashion. He'll give you words to speak. We, we've heard that. Don't worry about what you're going to speak, but just in that time, God will give you the words to speak. Speak the first words that come and then more comes. There's a book called 70 Great Christians. I got it from uh, Voice of the Martyrs. If you can get this book, it's an amazing book. It just talks about the history of different moves of God and different countries, different things. And they talk about Great Britain and the fact that uh, they cannot find, you know, Great Britain was one of the greatest mission-sending agencies, had revivals. Most of the guys that I read uh, are from the 18th century. Most of them are Scottish, Welsh, or British. Just powerful move of God. But they're talking about how did Christianity come to England? It says, the suggestion is that Christianity was brought to these shores by ordinary people. It was brought by traders who traveled, heard the gospel in other parts of Europe, and spread it. The message could easily have been carried further to Britain by merchants. Also, Britons that traveled abroad became Christians, returned home, shared their faith with others. But one thing is certain. The church in Britain was not founded as a result of an evangelistic mission, but because ordinary people shared the good news of Jesus with their friends and family. A whole nation, one to the Lord, that became one of the greatest mission-sending nations in the world, 
was won by people sharing the good news of Jesus with friends and neighbors. We can do that. I remember uh, Jim wrote a paper on the New Testament and the Great Commission, and he talked about if every Christian would do, take responsibility in their area and do what the Word of God says, that it would be completed. The Great Commission would be completed. Ordinary people sharing their faith wherever they went. Bill Sanders, founder of uh, our church, said we are called to gossip the gospel. To gossip the gospel everywhere we go. John W.R. Stott, chaplain to the Queen of England, an Anglican at the World Congress on Evangelism, said the church is under orders. The risen Lord has commanded to go to preach to make disciples. And that is enough. The church engages in evangelism today not because it wants to or because it chooses to, but because it likes to, but because it has been told to. Evangelistic inactivity is disobedience. If you want to be obedient to the Holy Spirit, you will share your testimony in the gospel of Jesus every opportunity you have to everyone you can. There was a quote. Jim and I were in Morton, Illinois at a Mennonite church, and the Mennonites have uh, this ungodly habit of wanting to get together at 5, 6 in the morning and pray. I remember saying, if God wanted to see the sun rise, he would have done it at noon. But, uh, but I was there, and I, I, I was awake. Jim, he just eats that stuff up. You know, he was there, I was there. So we're praying. And I happened to look up, and there was a poster on the wall. And the poster said this, In my estimation, the greatest threat to Christianity is not communism, not atheism, not cultism. In my estimation, the greatest threat to Christianity is Christians who are trying to sneak into heaven incognito without ever sharing their faith or becoming involved. Someone once stated, you, must, you might be the only Jesus someone will ever know. The people you have an opportunity to share with will never darken the door of a church. They will never come across to revival. and they'll, they'll, they'll never meet one of the leaders of this church. You're it. You're it. You're the opportunity. You're the chance. The opportunity to share the gospel, to share your testimony. Probably one of the most concise verses on the responsibility of the believer is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Kind of the key verse that we have carried with us in regard to the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And the Lord said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And we think about that, you know, power of God and the gifts of the Spirit. You know, I can pray in the Spirit. I can pray for people, they might get healed. All these things are happening, but here's what it says. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. The baptism in the Holy Spirit, it may well be for the giving of the gifts and opening you up to new spiritual dimensions, but it says here the responsibility of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is to be a witness you receive power to be a witness. And Jesus said to his disciples, don't go out and witness and preach this gospel until you receive this power. But once you receive this power, you will be a witness to me. 
And as I, I shared about that, I thought, you will be a witness like you don't have any choice. It's not if and or maybe. You will be a witness. So what kind of witness are you? What kind of witness are you? He's inside of you. He wants to come out to communicate the reality of Jesus, the reality of the power of God. What kind of witness? Are you a good witness? And, and, and I teach this in, in our seminars, pastor seminars in Russia. We talk about evangelism. We talk about witnessing. And we talk about how it's in both word and deed. And how, you know, people are not saved through your deeds. They're saved through the word. They have to hear the word. But the deeds open people up for the word. The deeds need to agree with the word. The word needs to agree with the deeds. We need to be uh, uh, witnessing in action and in word. But what kind of witness are you? A good witness? A bad witness? An effective witness? An ineffective witness? You're a witness. I was talking to a brother. Uh, been working with him, discipling, and we meet, uh, we try to meet once a week. And he was talking about a partner in business. He's got a uh, remodeling, not remodeling. They make kitchens, kitchen counters and so on. He's got a partner. And he said, you know, this guy, he's always positive. He's just optimistic. One day he was kind of down. It was really unusual, so I was concerned about him. So I started talking to him. And we got in his truck, and he turned on the radio, and there was a sermon. I said, sir, what are you doing? He said, oh, that's all I listened to. And he was a Christian. It was his partner. He was a Christian. He didn't know it, <laughs> you know. We don't want to be that kind of Christian that people are surprised. You're a Christian? You're surprised. I was, I was preaching in a church. I won't tell you what church because <laughs> I'm going to be there. I leave the 6th to go to New England, and it's a church in New England, and I'm going to be there, so I don't want it. They might hear this. But anyway, so I was, I was preaching on a similar message about being a witness, and in, in, in New Hampshire, they've got Dunkin' Donuts on every corner. I mean, every corner. It's just a thing, you know, and you get addicted to it. We finally have two. We got one over on 21st Street, one in Broken Arrow. But anyway, so uh, you're in church, and it's, it's, a, it's a New Testament church, so, you know, kind of casual and so on. People got their coffee. Dunkin' Donuts, they, they, they went through the drive-thru and got coffee on the way to church. They're sitting in church with their coffee. So I said, look. If I was to go to the girl at the drive-thru and ask her, what do you know about this guy? What would she say? And the pastor said, double cream, double sugar. <laughs> and I said, and I said, whew, I said, that's the problem. I said, they should be telling me, oh, they're a Christian. They've been talking. They prayed for me. You know, my mother was sick and they prayed for me. That's what they should be saying. And I, I met this guy at the conclave periodically. They never invited me back. And I mentioned to him, <laughs> I said, do you remember that? He said, oh, I don't remember that. I said, you never invited me back. He said, oh, brother, you need to come back. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you never invited me back. What kind of witness are you? What would people say about you if I asked them? They should tell me you're really involved in their lives. You care. You love them. You pray for them. You're there when they need you. Romans 10, 8 through 15. Romans 10, 8 through 15. 
But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I wonder if that might not have to do with witnessing. I never thought about that. I don't think it's like you're in your bedroom and you said, I want to be saved. So I believe in Jesus. Jesus is Lord. I think you're supposed to do that out on the street. I think your salvation may well be worked out through you manifesting the call of God upon your life in that place where he's put you. Might that be so? If you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then it says, how then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? We already debunked that. You remember? How shall they hear without one who's willing to speak to them publicly? Witness. And how shall they witness? How shall they preach unless they are sent And the word of God already said, Jesus said, go, you've been sent. Now it might be that the church in some official capacity may send you somewhere. But until that happens, you've already been sent. You've been sent out into every man's world. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. If you want to move into a new dimension or a fresh dimension of the reality of Jesus Christ, his power and his spirit, start witnessing. Start sharing your faith in public and see what happens. You will get healed. You will get delivered. It can actually be something very self-serving because it'll minister to you. You'll move into a new dynamic and a new uh, dimension. He has chosen us to be his witnesses. He didn't, he didn't choose the angels. He chose us. There's a verse in Hebrews 1.14 that talks about the responsibility of the angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? The angels are actually ministering to us And on our behalf, as we fulfill the responsibility of those who are to inherit salvation, they'll be with us as we go about our daily lives, as we proclaim the gospel, share our testimony. Isn't that amazing? I think that's amazing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 through 15, it talks about the motivation What is our motivation for doing this? Like I said, it could be self-serving. I mean, I actually get to the point where I just go, man, I just can't wait to tell somebody about Jesus because the Lord's going to show up. (laughs) It's like like if you want to experience the pleasure of God, that's what you do. You just walk up and say, excuse me, but I'd just like to share with you that Jesus loves you. And you can just feel the Lord breathe his, his love and his peace on you, his presence on you. It can be, but that's not, our, that's not our motivation. In 14, it says, for the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ forces us. 
We have no choice. It burns within us. We have to speak. The need of the people, the hurting, you can see them. Uh, I remember my, my brother-in-law used to call warehouse market scarehouse market because of the people that populated that, 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 uh, that grocery store. I mean, wild, weird people, bikers and hookers and all these people. And you go in there and you look, and that need should just draw out of you a fire that wants to do something to change their lives. To change their lives. For the love of Christ compels us. Those who live, those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. God's love should compel us. It should force us to take action, to take responsibility. He loves them. He died for them. We need to have the heart of God, a burden for the lost. There's a couple of verses here. Listen to God's burden for the lost. Matthew 18, 11 and 14. Matthew 18. Listen to these carefully. Matthew 18, 11 through 14. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. It is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish, that every one of them would have an opportunity. 1 Timothy 2, 4 through 5. 1 Timothy 2, 4 through 5. God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. This should be our desire, for all to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth. Finally, Ezekiel 33, 11. And this one is, is, is an open reproof to me because I, I, I have a hard time getting a grip on it, but it says... Ezekiel 31:11 I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. And I can't say I have that, you know. When I heard that Saddam Hussein had died, I didn't necessarily have sorrow. <laughs> you know, God has sorrow. Every soul is precious. As long as someone is alive, there's a hope. As long as they have life, there is a hope. God loves the lost, that one, not one would perish, but even the wicked would turn and be saved. Finally, the last verse, Proverbs 24, 11 through 12, probably the strongest verse that I've read, and I've, I've read this over and over a number of times, is the Old Testament. It has to do uh, with um, people who are in jeopardy of death, but it clearly, clearly communicates this issue. It says, deliver those, Proverbs 24, 11, 12, deliver those who are drawn toward death. Hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. I think of a Jack Chick track. I don't know if you remember Jack Chick tracks, you know, where the guy's driving along and the guy's trying to stop him because the bridge is out, you know. They're drawn toward death. They're stumbling to the slaughter. And you say, surely, we did not know this. Does not he who weigh the hearts consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? That God will hold us in some way accountable, that we have a responsibility. Hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. I like that because it's, it's proactive, it's physical, it's emotional. You know, it's like, hold them back, you know. I, I remember I'd be teaching on this in Russia, 
and the, you know they're not used to both you know being outgoing like that they're you know when I first went to Russia you had to wear long sleeves you had to have your collar buttoned and you had to hold still behind the pulpit you weren't supposed to move your hands and so like you know what are they going to do with me you know I'm I'm not moving my hands I'm out here oh oh I took Don Vance He's a, prof- he's a professor at ORU, and his biggest habit is he gets down and walks amongst the people while he's preaching. Oh, man, they, they had a choir with some girls, and the girls were just holding on, trying not to laugh. They'd never seen anything like this. But this is proactive, physical, and emotional. So usually I get the past. pastor, come up here. Look, he comes up. I said, now look, this is what it's saying. Hold back those coming to the slide. I said, try to get by me. He tries to get by me, and I'm shoving them. And I'm shoving them, and people are going. I said, this is what it's talking about. This is what you see when you read this. Only it's in the spiritual. (laughs) To hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. And finally it says, will he not render to each man according to his deeds? God will hold us accountable. What will you do? Will you take responsibility for the lost. And I've used this before, and I really like it. I believe the Lord gave it to me, and I, you've heard this before, but this circle of influence, that each one of us has responsibility for our circle of influence, not the next guys, but just our own circle of influence. And I was actually in a group, and I said, now if you pictured a whiteboard here, and I put where you live right here, and then I put you going to the gas gas station, going to the store, going to the doctor, going here, going there, and I put a circle around that. That's your circle of influence. You're responsible for those that you come in contact with in that circle. And then I take somebody else, and I do that, and I make a circle, and I take somebody else. If I did that just with this group here, it would cover this huge, massive area. And if we did that, Everyone within that circle that we come in contact with would have an opportunity. I'm not saying they'd be saved, but they'd have an opportunity to hear the gospel, and many would be saved. Your circle of influence, where you live, your neighborhood, where you work, where you go to school, where you move about in your daily life. You are responsible for your circle of influence. You are to go, proclaim the gospel, share your testimony. Pray with people and expect God to move in a manifest way, signs and wonders, even if it's only goosebumps on your wrists. Something, God will move. We need to take responsibility. If we don't do it, who will? This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness. Then the end will come. God's waiting. Somebody said he's up on that horse, chafing at the bit. The horse, (laughs) wait, wait, wait. We have a job. We have responsibility. Let us fulfill that responsibility. And And I'd leave you with the fact, again, this thing about the pleasure of the Lord. That's really on my heart. If you want to please God, then be obedient to what he says. If you love me, you'll do what I say. And again, he'll meet you. Is that not enough? Much less somebody getting saved. He will meet you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. 
We thank you, Lord, that the word says clearly of itself that it will not return void, but it will accomplish that which you have sent it forth to accomplish. God, we believe that. And I believe that this word that went forth has changed hearts, has mobilized and motivated people within their spirits. I I, I believe that there uh, was an impartation of faith because it says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I believe that the word of God going forth has opened the ears of the people to receive faith. In Jesus' name to receive faith. So God, we pray for that. And we, we pray in the future to hear testimony of what's occurred and the changes that have occurred. Not only people saved, but lives of people in this congregation changed by just simply being obedient to the word of God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.